in life, there's a, a right and wrong way to do things. There's a right and wrong way to do things. You don't shovel snow with a vacuum cleaner. You don't clean out the electric outlet with a, a clothes hanger. There's just a right and wrong way to do things. In our text that we're going to look at today, as we continue in the book of Ephesians, Paul's letter to the church at Ephesus, we are going to see the right and wrong way to do marriage. And before you single people want to tune out, don't tune out because there is a message for everybody, regardless of what season of life that you're in. There's a deeper meaning to marriage that Paul teaches us um, this mystery he calls that we're calling today's message rooted in mystery. And you're going to see that. Um, some of you have been married a, a very long time, some over 50 years. And you're going to give me a lot of amens today because you've been through the tough stuff. You've been through the ups and downs of marriage, the, 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 the difficulties, all that's there. I think you're going to have a been there, done that, got the t-shirt sort of thing for all of you guys. Some of you are in the middle of rocky marriages right now. You're in the middle of difficulty. Consider this morning counseling. You're getting counseling from the Apostle Paul on how to be married. Some have experienced the pain of, of divorce. Um, some right now are experiencing the pain of divorce. May this word be helpful for your future. Some are remarried. May this give you more hope as well for your future. And young people, I really would ask you to pay close attention because if you can learn what you will be taught this morning about marriage, you begin to look at relationships differently. And as you go into marriage, if you meditate on this, you'll be more prepared for what God has for you in, in your future. In Genesis chapter 2, we see that uh, you know, it's God had created, and then he, he tells Adam that it's not good that he be alone. He, he tells him that, and he creates Eve for him. And it says, you, you see him starting the very first marriage, but then immediately in Genesis chapter 3, we see the fall where Adam and Eve disobeyed God. And when they disobeyed God and his word, it ruined everything. And it affected everything. And it's affected relationships. Ultimately, it affects marriage. So I'm going to read to you from Ephesians chapter 5 and pick it up in verse 22. It says, Wives, be subject to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is also the head of the church, he himself being the savior of the body. But as the church is subject to Christ, so also wives ought to be to their husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself up for her, so that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of the water with the word that he might present to himself the church in all her glory, having no spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she would be holy and blameless. So husbands ought also to love their own wives as their own bodies. He who loves his, his own wife loves himself, for no one ever hated his own flesh, 
but nourishes and cherishes it just as Christ does to the church for the church because we are members of his body. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is great, but I am speaking with reference to Christ and the church. Nevertheless, each individual among you also is to love his own wife, even as himself. And the wife must see to it that she respects her husband. The key verse in that is uh, those last two verses. He says, this is a mystery. A man leaving his father and mother and being joined to his wife, that that is a, a foretelling of Christ in the church, not just marriage. That's why this message is for everybody. When you understand the deeper meaning in your relationship with God through Jesus Christ, it just takes off and gives it so much more power and it gives our own marriages so much more life as well to understand it from, from that perspective. Now, most couples in a practical sense, most couples don't realize that they've been taught wrong about marriage. And we, we come into marriage with all these wrong ideas about what marriage is and is supposed to be and how it's supposed to work. So I want to introduce you to, to two fictitious couples, Mr. and Mrs. Wrong and Mr. and Mrs. Right. And how can Mr. and Mrs. Wrong become Mr. and Mrs. Right? Keep in mind when you think of marriage, two sinners said I do. Two people with baggage, brokenness, unrealistic expectations about marriage. That, that happened. That's why we become Mr. and Mrs. Wrong, and we need to undo that so that we can learn how to be, do marriage right. So first of all, I want to ask a couple questions. What is marriage? What is Christian marriage? The wrongs, the Mr. and Mrs. Wrong, they would answer that marriage is first and foremost about chemistry. And I really think that is a wrong understanding. Chemistry might be important when it comes to a relationship, but chemistry is mostly about our egos and how we make each other feel, which can set a marriage up for failure. We have a society that has fallen in love with falling in love, the idea, the, the feeling, and not understanding that love isn't a feeling. Love is a choice. Now, my wife, Janelle, makes the most amazing chili. I, I absolutely love her chili. When she makes it, you know, you have the meat first and then, and then the beans and then add all the spices, the chili powder, the, the, the garlic, and that's what, draw, that's, that's what draws you, that smell. I can smell it all day long because my office is right by the kitchen, and so I just smell it, and I'm hungry, and I'm ready for that chili. That understanding that I could live on the beans and the meat, that, that could be sustenance for us, but it sure wouldn't taste as good, right? When it comes to understanding love in the, in the Greek language, we have three words for love that describe relational kind of love. There's agape love, which is God's kind of love. It's unconditional. And then you have phileo love, which is it's companionship love. That's where the, the city of Philadelphia, the city of brotherly love, that's where that word comes from. And then you have the word eros. And eros is sexual, attraction, 
the googly feelings that that couples have for each other. Now, what does that have to do with the pot of chili? Well, eros love is, is it's the spices. It's what draws you to the sustenance. But you can't build a marriage on eros alone, feelings, etc. It's built on agape love, unconditional God kind of love, 1 Corinthians 13 kind of love. It's built on phileo, companionship kind of love. So Mr. and Mrs. Wright would respond to this question of what is marriage. The right answer is that marriage is first and foremost a commitment and a covenant of companionship. It's a commitment and it's a a covenant of companionship. Literally a binding promise of commitment and agape love. When you say I do, when two people say I do, they're not making a promise to feel. They're making a promise to do something, that, that love is an action. And that uh, we, we can't ever say, I promise to always feel love, because that's not a reality for anybody. You do make a promise to do something. I think two important components of the commitment and the covenant of companionship would be, first of all, good marriages in in good marriages people they're good at forgiving one another good at saying sorry and having forgiveness and humility and then the other one is marry your best friend and and maybe in your marriage right now you think to yourself well that's not our marriage well you can become that best friends become best friends by spending time together talking being vulnerable all that comes with that so if you don't feel like your best friends with your your spouse today become that it's a covenant of companionship you you promise to do life together to be each other's companion through this thing called life i like to say it this way as a as a follower of jesus to marry your soulmate marry your soulmate but no, that's not a typo on the screen that, that did we misspell that S O L E like the soles of your feet. You walk with Jesus together. You, you, you walk through life together. You help one another. That's, that's Christian marriage is, is following Jesus together. The, the Holy spirit is our true soulmate S O U L uh, that he's our true soulmate. Your spouse isn't your soulmate, but they are your soulmate in the sense of the word of the soles of your feet. And if you're single today and you follow Jesus, the number one thing for you to look for in a future spouse, or the question to ask is, would being with this person draw me closer to Jesus? Or is this person going to draw me away from Jesus. Look for that person that will help you grow your relationship with God, not damage it. The second question to ask is, what is the purpose of Christian marriage? What's the purpose of Christian marriage? Well, Mr. and Mrs. Wrong, they would answer it that marriage, marriage is supposed to make you happy. Supposed to make you happy. Well, when I do premarital counseling for, for couples, I always ask the couples, why do you love each other? And often I'll hear, well, she makes me feel good. She makes me happy. And my challenge in that is, is what are you going to do when she doesn't make you happy, lets you down or, or whatever? 
that, that that's the recipe in our culture to just throw away marriage because somebody doesn't make me happy anymore. Us as followers of Jesus are always about making it work and staying committed the way he's, he's committed. And I think sometimes too, we get this idea, if you're single, that you'll finally be happy if you get married. And that if you're not content not being married, don't get married. You're not ready for it yet. When, uh, when we find contentment in Jesus and we find contentment in life, that's when we're ready to be a good husband or to be a good wife. So Mr. and Mrs. Wright, the right answer to this, what is the purpose of Christian marriage is marriage makes you holy. Marriage is designed by God to make us more like Jesus. Again, two sinners said, I do. Two broken people said, I do. And because of, of our bent on, on selfishness that we have as sinners, there's going to be conflict. There's going to be times of difficulty. God uses conflict. He uses those difficulties in relationships to morph our hearts, to make us more like, like Jesus. God's purpose for each of us is to become like Jesus. Marriage is such a, a huge tool that God uses to transform one another, showing one another grace, learning to grow in, in Jesus together. We have a tendency, I've seen this over the years, is people have a tendency to uh, give grace to their kids, but they don't give it to their spouse. And I think it's because when you watch a child come into this world and the little baby is, is helpless and, and you nurture and, and watch he or she grow up, there's a, there's a bonding as a parent that is, is different than being husband and wife. But we have to always remember, you're raising your kids to go and raise a family one day. Like, don't find your identity in, in your kids. Work on your marriage. You're, you're, even though your kids are your flesh and blood, you're one flesh with your spouse. It's not, you're not one flesh with your children. So we got we to gotta remember that. And I think in letting God transform our hearts and transform us in in, through marriage to make us more like Jesus is remembering that marriage is not about finding the right person. It's about becoming the right person. And all of us, if we're becoming like Jesus, two people who are wholeheartedly saying, I want to follow Jesus are going to have a good marriage. I um, have seen this a lot over the years where you see couples come together and they, they, did kind of a bait and switch on each other, you know, it's like, uh, he's thinking to himself, I hope she never changes. And she's saying, I can change him. And, and the fact is, is like prior to getting married, she would watch football with him. She would do things that, that he wanted to do. And all of a sudden they get married and are you watching football again today? You know, and then comes this, this kind of conflict. So we have to remember that conflict is built into marriage. It, it really is. But learning how to handle that is what, what's important in letting Jesus make us holy. And then what makes Christian marriage flourish? What makes it flourish? Well, Mr. and Mrs. Wrong they, they would answer this, we complete each other. You know, cue Jerry Maguire, right? He's uh, that scene in Jerry Maguire when he comes in and he tells her that he loves her and that he, she completes him. And the look on her face is like, 
blown away. And that's the absolute worst marriage counsel somebody could ever get. Only God can complete the human heart. Only God created a, a room in our heart that only he gets to complete. Your spouse is there to help you nurture that and, and to find that. God, only God can complete the human heart. We I think of the pressure that we put on our spouses if we need them to complete us, right? Like that's God's job. And so that's, we make an idol out of our spouse, a, a, a little God out of our spouse, and they can't be God. And then if, we, if we're looking at each other as husband and wife to complete one another, then it's going to be, we often compete <laughs> with one another. The two not being one, but competing to be number one, to have their way, to be first. Get, remember that you don't complete each other, and then when you try to do that, you'll compete with one another. The right answer to what makes Christian marriage flourish is we complement each other. In, Gen, in Genesis, we see that God made you know, male and female at, in his image. Male and female is the perfect image and reflection of what God's like. But male, we're different as men and women. God wired us different as, as men and women. We think different. All of the things that come with that. Learning to complement each other with both strengths and weaknesses. Just like milk goes with Oreos, peanut butter and jelly. It's two different things, but make a great combination. And that's God, how we, how we learn to flourish in marriages. How can you complement each other as husband and wife? How do we do that? Well, I think Paul gave us the answers in what, what we read. And last week we talked about this, but how do we do this? By being spirit-filled and gospel-based. Let your marriage be spirit-filled and gospel-centered. He, he says that in verses 18 and 19. Be filled with the Spirit. Be Spirit-led. So important that we, you know, the Holy, let the Holy Spirit lead us to forgive one another, to care for one another, to pray for one another. Spending time talking to one another. Relationship is all about spending time together, and it's about talking. And the more you talk, the more intimate you truly are. I heard a guy say one time that intimacy, which is the goal of marriage, is to take your, you know, the, the window of your heart and to, to just open it up and say, into me see. That's intimacy, that I can trust you and be vulnerable with my fears. I can trust you and be vulnerable with my dreams, my hopes that I'm not going to be judged or, or critiqued or told I'm stupid or whatever on that. It's, it's, that's intimacy. God use, has used my wife, Janelle, to, to uh, really get rid of some false messages that I believed about myself. And it's that connection of somebody that listens to me and that allows, allows me to share my hopes and, and, and dreams and all that and vice versa. So the second thing I would say on what Paul says here is how do we flourish in Christian marriage is by accepting our roles and responsibilities. We have different roles and responsibilities as husbands and wives. He said, wives, be subject to your husbands as to the Lord or, or submit to the Lord. And I know sometimes we hear that word submit and we say, oh, no, you didn't. Like, how, I, I'm sub, I don't submit. And that sounds archaic. What do you mean I'm supposed to submit? 
It's actually a very beautiful word when it's understood in its context. Over the years, obviously, society, maybe culture, abused this verse of Scripture with somehow the, the husband gets to tell you know, the wife what to do. That's not what this means at all, because it just said in the verses before is to be submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. So what, what that word, you have to know that in its context, verse 25, husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself up for her. That's, that's a tough scripture. How did Jesus love his bride? Well, he sacrificed. He served. He laid down his life for us as his church. So to understand the word to submit to, to your husband, wives, is to understand his role to love and, and lead you the way Christ does the church. So the word submit in the Greek, it, actually the best picture you can have of what the word submit means is in Colorado, the weather can, can change like that. It's happened all week long. And if you were... Wives, if you were with your, your husband and you were in the middle of nowhere and all of a sudden it started pouring down rain and he had an umbrella and he pops out that umbrella and, and invites you to come under the covering of that umbrella, that's what it means to submit to your husband. And husbands, when we're loving our wives well, when we're leading through a servant type leading, what wife wouldn't want to come under that kind of covering? And I get it. We're all imperfect, imperfect husbands. But wives, give, give your husbands an opportunity to lead you. If, if, if this is going to, to cause some discussions within marriages, I know that. Don't let this get you frustrated and just right now be thinking to yourself, I'm, oh, my husband doesn't lead well. He doesn't lead the house well. Well, give him an opportunity to. Talk it through. Don't judge. Talk it through. Have that intimate conversation so that he can learn how to do that. The husband's role is, is that lead servant. His, his headship, his leadership is not about him pleasing himself, but about making the, his wife's needs come first. It's that compliment. A husband's leadership is, is truly doing what is best for his wife. Jesus said no greater love has, has a man for his friend that he lay down his life for his friends. So God's probably not going to ask you, husband, to literally lay down your life, but you're going to lay down your rights, your needs, your desires for the betterment of your wife. And understanding that, like when you come home from work, don't check out, like check in with your wife, talk, have conversation, have, you know, help. That, that's really what our, our jobs are as, as husbands, the way Jesus said we're to be servants. And then it says, uh, the next thing that helps us learn how to compliment one another is by practicing love and respect. Practicing love and respect. He says, nevertheless, each individual among you is to love his, his own wife, even as himself. And the wife must see to it that she respects her husband. It's interesting to me, why didn't he say, wives, love and respect your husbands, husbands, love and respect your wives? It's because we're wired different. Women need love, they, they, and men need respect. And if we learn how to love and respect one another, 
if we learn how to treat our spouse the way we want them to become, we treat them the way we want them to become, watch what God will do. What does it mean, husbands, love your wives? Well, it means to cherish her. It means that she knows she's first place outside of Jesus. She's first place in your life, that she is the priority of your life. And we can do that where we even, we make our kids our priority rather than nurture the marriage. And then all of a sudden you wake up and your kids are gone. You don't know each other. You're looking at each other like, do I even like you? <laughs> you know, but nurture your marriage, whatever season you're in in your marriage, keep nurturing that part. Husbands, let your wives understand that, that you're putting them first. What does it mean, wives, to, to respect your husbands? Well, it means you admire them. That's admiration. You respect him by letting him lead. You respect him, you know, by not speaking to him like he's a child. He's, he's not your child. I mean, he might act like your child sometimes, but he, he doesn't need you to speak to him like you're his, his mom. He needs your, your respect. He needs you to, to be the one that encourages him. I'm so grateful I have a wife who always is encouraging me rather than getting me discouraged because us as men, we get discouraged. We know sometimes we're not leading well. We know sometimes we're not living right. And what we need is a champion in our corner to say, you can do this. You got this. I believe in you. Wives, do that. You are the number one person to build up uh, the encouragement of your husband. Affairs happen from a men's point of view, mostly because they don't feel like they're getting the respect and admiration. And when, when, a, when a starving person is hungry, you know, uh, a little morsel tastes really good. And if somebody begins to admire your husband, that's opening the door for that, for that sin and that, that temptation. So be your husband's champion. And when we were in Israel, have I told you we went to Israel lately? We did. When we were in Israel, our guide gave us a, a teaching about what that meant when, in Hebrew, when it says that God made a suitable helper for Adam. He made a, a helpmate. The word in Hebrew, he said, means that she was sent to wake him up. <laughs> Not wake him up like from sleep, but wake him up from his discouragement. Wake him up from, uh, you know, temptation. Wake him up so that he can be the person that God called him to be. That's a, that's a great calling that you have as wives on that. Love and respect is not feelings. Love and respect are actions. And when you give love and respect to, to your spouse, you're not giving it out of conditions. It's, it is unconditional in the sense that you honor God by honoring the role of your husband, by, you, by honoring the role of your wife in, in your life. A great book um, was written called Love and Respect by a guy, his last name is Egerich. And he just took chapter 5, verse 33, and wrote a whole book on how we're wired as men and women, women needing love, men needing respect. And he used this illustration. He said that when, when if, if a, a wife is not receiving the love that, that she needs, she doesn't show respect to her husband. 
And it's just a cycle that continues of, of lacking of love and respect. And he said, it's like stepping on each other's air hose, that, that the, the husband is getting air from, from the respect, but when he's not getting it, he's suffocating. And same with a wife who's not feeling cherished and love. And he said, somebody's got to be like Jesus. Somebody has to say, you know what? In spite of how this, my spouse is treating me, I'm going to show love. I'm going to show respect. And you can breathe again. And then lastly, in order to complement each other and have that marriage that flourishes, we do that by remembering our ultimate marriage, our ultimate marriage to Jesus. He said, this mystery is great. Again, we're rooted in this mystery. It's great. He's speaking of Christ in the church. All this teaching about husbands and wives, he's saying ultimately is our, is our ultimate marriage to Jesus. The number one job of a follower of Jesus, the number one job of a Christian spouse is to prepare their spouse for Jesus. Prepare your spouse for our ultimate marriage to Jesus. And I know, men, that sounds kind of weird when we hear being married to Jesus. It so supersedes what we can see in the narrow, narrow vision that we have right now, and we don't see what's to, to become. It's so much more than what we experience just in, in marriage. It's, it is going to be the most close, intimate, amazing relationship with Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. If you're single and you want to be married, remember that there's no marrying in heaven. And you, you will, we will be married to, 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 G, to Christ. We're his bride. That's type and shadow over and over. If you're going to get married, get married for the right reasons. Don't get married to try to vi- fill some void in your life because that'll just add problems to you because a person can't fill, fill, fill that hole. Jesus was asked about marriage and remarriage. He said that there was a woman, this, they asked, the religious crowd asked Jesus, there was a woman who was married and her husband died. So she married his brother and he died. And it happened seven times. They said, whose wife will she be in heaven? And he said, you don't understand. After the resurrection, we're going to, there's not going to be any marrying because there's no need. There's no need for procreation. <laughs> there's, there's, we will be married like the angels in our relationship with Jesus, he said. And I've been petitioning the Lord on that. If maybe me and Janelle could have an exception, a little, little cottage <laughs> somewhere, but uh, he hasn't got back to me on that just yet. If you're married, um, you're not going to be married to your spouse in heaven. And there might've been a hallelujah go off all across the city. I don't know or not. I hope not, but you know, it's just, we got to remember that marriage is a sacred, but temporary covenant. It's a sacred mystery that points to Christ and the church. And it's in, in the question that I have to ask on that for all of us is, is your marriage reflecting what it's supposed to be? Is it reflecting Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. Wives, come under the covering of your husband as we do in the Lord. Now, how does that work in complementing one another? So if you're, if, you're, if you're single, this is about discipleship. If you're married, 
It's about discipleship. It's about following Jesus. If you're, if you're married, focus on discipleship to Jesus together. It'll only improve your marriage. I've never, ever, ever heard a couple say, hey, we started praying together, and then, man, our marriage just started sucking. <laughs> like, it, it, doesn't, it doesn't work like that. Learn to pray together, read together, talk about Jesus together. And I know some of you maybe are, are like, I'm not a big talker about my feelings. That's not what I'm saying. It's just praying together, getting habits together. It's, it's, it will strength and gr- strengthen and grow your marriage. If you're single and you want to be married, find somebody who follows Jesus first and foremost, and they'll treat you right, and you'll have a good marriage. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for the gift of Jesus. I thank you for the gift of the Holy Spirit. Thank you for bringing us into relationship, Lord Jesus, with Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit together. I pray for those that are are listening and watching right now that are in marriages that are struggling. I pray for them to apply this truth of what we've talked about this morning. I pray for forgiveness. I pray for grace for one another. I pray for understanding. I pray to be able to, for them to be able to talk it through and give it and surrender it all over to you, Lord Jesus. Lord, I pray for um, those that are, are single this morning and want to be married. Lord, show them how close you are to them and that you're preparing them and that you have them in the palm of your hand, and that you can fulfill and do fulfill their hearts, desires, Lord. Help them to find that in you. God, those that are, have been divorced or in difficult things right now, God, I pray for your healing. I pray for your grace. I pray for your love and power, your spirit to minister life to them. And for God, for God all of our marriages, Lord, that... Uh, are represented at Novation. May we apply your truth, your goodness, faithfulness, and commitment, Lord, that you are that to us. Let us be that to one another. In Jesus' name, amen. Have a, an amazing week. Uh, continue to stay tuned on when we'll be able to open and reopen in, per, uh, in person. But, you know, I encourage you to to get in a home group, meet with your home group, watch service together so you can pray and eat and, and um, we'll continue forward trusting the Lord.